Sonic Statesman.com. Hello and welcome to Sonic Talk number 60. 60 is uh, quite a, well, it's quite a big number, I suppose, isn't it? We've done very well. We're just over a year old. Um, well, the year and one month or something. I think we started in August. So uh, well done, everybody. This is going live on the 20th of September, which is a Thursday, uh, recording today. Uh, it, to, by the way, today is International Talk Like a Pirate Day, so I'm hoping that there will be a few piratey kind of hellos. In fact, I'm going to start off with one from Mark, because Mark, in fact, sent us this. Ahoy, me hearties! <laughs> this is Captain Tinley calling from the high seas. Avast, you Sonic State podcasters! And Skullmy Kippers, savvy? Yeah! <laughs> Oyster Johnny Roger, <laughs> you lubbers! I hope you have a good podcast this week and I expect you all to talk like pirates for the whole thing. I'll be listening in later to check that you have. <laughs> See you next week when I return from the high seas with me bounty. Weigh the anchor east and pass me another glass of ginger beer. So um, that was uh, that was a little message from Mark, who was very keen that uh, that we observed International Talk Like a Pirate Day. So I'm going to do an obligatory aha just to sort of get the flavour in. But uh, Mark's not with us this week. He's on a boat. Which is kind of quite apt, really. He's having a boating holiday just, I think, unfortunately for him, just on the day that the weather's turned in the UK to being sort of quite mild to suddenly fairly autumnal and quite chilly. So I hope he's uh, nice, wrapped up, warm and, you know, is it all all right. But anyway, let's say hello to the rest of my uh, my pirate friends. Uh, I think I'll start with Dave Spears from G4 Software. Hi, Nick, lad. Ah, well done. I'm glad to see you observing the spirit. Are you well? Uh, yes, I am. Thank you. Um, I think we ought to say at this point um, a, uh, a hello and hope you get better soon, Chris, because I know he's got a very bad back and we want him to uh, get him on the mend. Yeah, so I can get back to work. <laughs> and lessen your workload. <laughs> uh, yes, more importantly. And hello to non-Eric from uh, sunny or maybe not so sunny Berlin. How are you doing, non-Eric? Hello! Hello, hello, hello! Ah, going for the parrot angle. I like it. Very good. Bit of a sort of slightly tangential approach, but yeah, very smart. How are you? How are you, Hans? Are you well? Yes, I'm. F- I'm fine. Yes. Been very busy over at uh, DigitalMusician.net and uh, Muso Talk. I noticed you got a podcast up about Reason Four and one about Logic Eight. Yeah, um, we have it up uh, since Friday in I think six o'clock in the morning. Travelled about five hundred. No. 500, yeah, 500 kilometers on Friday to pick up a copy. And uh, then I checked out the program on the laptop while driving back. And uh, we did the podcast five o'clock in the morning. Oh, my goodness. That's dedicated. To be the first one. Yes. I hope that uh, Apple were eternally grateful for the no doubt glowing review you gave it, eh? <laughs> I think we shall talk about that later. <laughs> yes, perhaps we should. Uh, and let's move on to Rich Hilton from Connecticut. How are you doing, Rich? Hi, good morning, gentlemen. Ah, well, of course, um, Connecticut, New England, I suppose there's a bit of a pirate, kind of, there's quite a lot of piracy going on there in the olden days, I think, was there not? I suppose, a little tea dumping. little tea Very dumping, and wasn't it that there was, there was a big, uh, I don't know, but was the, where was the whaling fleet? Perhaps that's not very PC to talk about, but um, interesting facts about that. I can't remember what the name of the island was, but it was mostly run by women, because all the blokes were at sea. 
And there was all sorts of, uh, it was like a matriarchal society, uh, very advanced by all accounts. Hey, they were good with the blubber. That's right. And of course, PJ Tracy from Minneapolis. How are you doing this fine morning? Arr, good morning, you scurvy musos. <laughs> Very good. I hope you didn't get up too early to, to get that voice, the tone of voice. Are we doing a lot of shouting recently? Or is that just how you... <laughs> yeah, seven packs a day. No, <laughs> I don't smoke. No, well, anyway, talk like a pirate. For some reason, it's the sort of uh, bizarre brainchild of um, John Bauer and Mark Summers, who uh, came up with it a few years ago and... There's a website called talklikeapirate.com and you can just sort of go there and see pictures of people dressed up like pirates and there's sort of an international day, apparently. I can't really say any more about it because I thought there might have been some deep, long-lived tradition that, um, you know, went back generations, but it's it's a couple of stone. I think it's basically a couple of stoners with a website, as far as I can tell. I have a good friend who owns a, a costume shop and recently I helped I helped her out along with a group of uh, 12 others and we were in a local a local parade all dressed as pirates and we had to talk like pirates as we're marching down the street and <clears throat> approaching little ones on the side of the road and uh you know telling them that you're gonna make them walk the plank and we'll throw you on the barrel and you're going hurricane style it was a uh, it was a lot of fun so you're well practiced you're almost a pirate anyway App- apparently <laughs> I just got an email from from PJ uh, about uh, they've just announced and uh, released uh, Sonar Seven. Is that right, PJ? Uh, yeah. Apparently, it's out and shipping. Ah, is that something you'll be interested in? Do you use it? I I do not. I'm a Cubase. I'm a Cubase user. Yes, although I've been tempted away from Cubase uh, many times by Sonar's feature set. It it looks great. Um, apparently, the last. The last revision of Sonar, they went 64-bit, and so there was some major revisions to the audio audio engine. Uh. Um, this time, they revamped their MIDI tools, and apparently people are very, very excited about that. Um, some very uh, fine micro-editing tools and split tools, multi-lane controller editing, um, a, a step sequencer that's supposed to be the bomb, and uh, some tools that are reminiscent of uh, FL Studio. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll have to wait and see how it, sh- how it shapes up. Because they, it's always, just sh- they, they always strike me as really innovative, don't they? I mean, I, I, whenever I've been to see them and they're always basically saying, oh, yeah, we, we invented that. We invented that. We invented this. <laughs> you know, everybody else just uses it. And, and, you know, they may well be right, but they're obviously kind of got a fairly good creative team. The one thing I have heard, I was talking to Ronan from Computer Music yesterday and he'd had a preview of it. And he was saying that uh, there's this really amazing... Um, magnifying tool that is basically you just switch that on and move it over any object and it just sort of blows up underneath it and you can see what's inside any objects on the sequencer page which seems like kind of he said oh very cool that's a really brilliant um, addition and sort of one that you think why doesn't everybody do that which i'm sure they will if uh, if if that's true to form but yes uh, sonar 7 announced today i believe i think i got the email this morning so um the other thing obviously we talked about logic 8 last week and um that's kind of that was we only found out about it ten minutes earlier, and as you heard, maybe in the intro, uh, non Eric actually has had his hands on it, and I think Dave Spears, have you had yours on it? Are you allowed to tell us what your impressions are as well? Yeah. So, yep. um, so what's it like, guys? Because I'm still yet to uh, find anybody I can contact who's going to send me um, an upgrade or an NFR, so I can find. It. I did notice that they have put it on the Apple UK website, and it's ready to ship in 24 hours, and it's 319 UK pounds. I mean, we were really, really. I mean, there was been many, many rumors, and I was one of the 
guys who spread many of them. Um, one included um, the anticipation that it should have a totally rewritten core um, and totally rewritten program from scratch plus a new audio engine. And uh, in those two points, I think uh, Logic 8 does fail to deliver. Uh, I don't know what they've done the three years, but they definitely didn't um, improve on the audio engine or the mixer or on the core of the program because when you... Um, I, what I did is I did a, um, a loaded a Logic 7 song which actually only consists of um, built-in logic instruments and MIDI data, and I bounced it, uh, and I did the same in Logic 8. I loaded the seven, uh, song, uh, Logic 7 song into Logic 8 and bounced it as well, and it's 100% identical. So that does prove that basically in terms of audio engine and uh, better sound, nothing has changed in the version. And... Um, Going through the uh, the mixer, I found out that still uh, it's based on MIDI resolution. I mean, faders still don't go uh, any uh, higher resolution than 127 steps. Uh, and the panning still goes from plus 63 yeah. to minus 64. So it's the same old midi mixer style uh, environment and that is really 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 disappointing because i think there was a lot of catching up to do in terms of fidelity i think that uh, programs like cubase sonar traction they've done a, a better job on the sound engine and uh, nothing has changed in that area and uh, in and the uh, the great redesign of the uh, user interface is basically um, when you look at it in detail, uh, you will find all the old functions and menu items just in different locations on the screen. And basically, all they've done is added the editors at the bottom of the screen. I was really, really disappointed. Right. Now, we thought that the audio engine was underway. I mean, what gave you the idea that it was going to be? Just because it needed to be or because you heard? I think, yeah, wishful thinking. Ah, okay. Well, I suppose, I mean, Dave, what was your, your impressions were a bit different. I mean, what do you think? Just weird. I think that uh, I don't know whether it was kind of you know that kind of fresh new ears, new gear syndrome. But to me, initially, it, it did sound better. Um, it had a little bit more life to it. I don't know. That's probably me though. Um, no, I think that what it shows is that I mean, with Logic Seven and stuff, it still had that kind of legacy from the Magic days. Whereas this is kind of, I think. What we're seeing here is a kind of, you know, convergence of all the Apple stuff and the basis of a platform to move forward from. And this three-year timetable that everybody keeps talking about is, is um, I think, slightly misleading in terms of, you know, we know that the, the project support, you know, Code Warrior to Xcode was massive and we think that that took an awful long time. So actually it probably left about 18 months worth of development for this. That's the platform they use to, to write logic within, is that right? Yeah, I mean, obviously, from our perspective, you know, porting, you know, our meager instruments over was, was, was a severe headache. So I think, um, I don't think really it's three years of kind of new features, new, pro you know, a, a whole new product. But I like it. I think it's intuitive. I think what they've done is 
um, quite clever in the fact that they've not, they don't seem to have alienated. I'll tell you one thing I was really worried about was that I'd have a whole new steep learning curve to deal with in terms of making music. And uh, that's just not the case. I mean, you know, two, three hours into it and it felt like home again. The other thing is obviously, you know, we can't, we can't really kind of forget the fact that it's just so damn cheap but dave one question that should frighten you basically i mean now they're selling this for uh, in germany for 490 euros and with all this stuff thrown in there basically old uh, logic 7 plugins but uh, as as an independent um, s software company that does instruments doesn't that sort of kind of worry you I think there's, there's two schools of thoughts um, with people I've spoken to. One is, yes, it probably does and should do. Um, but the other one is, of course, if the host is that much cheaper, then it leaves a bit more money floating around for other add-on stuff. Yeah, that's a point. That's a point. That's yeah. a thought, yeah. Makes it available to a broader base original, you know, initially, too, for new users and such. Absolutely. Um, did either of you guys have the opportunity to actually record and playback audio? Uh, Hans, did it go beyond just uh, playback of virtual instruments? Because I was pretty sure the virtual instruments weren't going to change. Um, no, I did. We just did some basic recordings, very okay. basic. Yeah, just a recording a, a saxophone. No, I do like that de delay designer, and I also think the compressor's got some great features in it. Is there a new compressor? Because I've always sort of found the compressor to be kind of eminently usable, and in fact, do use it eminently no, I a lot. I think it's um, markedly better, as do a couple of other people I've spoken to. Well, that's interesting because I mean that's you know that's such a stock thing. I mean that's the thing you find. I mean things that tend to not actually you know you're not moaning about them because they don't work very well that means they've done their job really well and i always found the compressor to be very very usable within logic so the verdict is kind of yes split. And, yes and no split well i suppose that's a good sign because um I, I did keep an eye on the logic users group for a bit because i was wondering what people's impressions were about it and one of the things that people were really scared about was oh my god you know what about environments what about screen sets because it looked from the one window kind of approach that that stuff wasn't available but it all still is you can just sort of pull it out can't you and do all of that stuff uh, yeah yeah it really doesn't take you long to w work your way around it you know if you're used to logic 7 it's like it, it really doesn't take very long of course, um, non-Eric, you also had a look at uh, Reason 4. Yes. Did you have to do uh, another 500k on the motorway to do that, or was it... Uh... No, no, no. I was kindly um, given uh, the gold master of the uh, final uh, version. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's a Reason Reason update. Um, that means that if you if you're into reason and you like the concept and you like the lim you don't mind the limitations and it's within the reason uh, world that is a marvelous update because I think the the sequencer has been overhauled very well. I mean, it's really doesn't it's not no longer just a demo sequencer. Right. It's really really uh, a full blown sequence that you can actually use really well. And what I like about the about reason is that everything is it works way you anticipate you don't have to uh, twist your head around and it's really really good and um, also uh, I'm, I'm just released the second part of my review on user talk okay. and uh, I'm showing the source synthesizer and that is also really fun to program it's very that very looked, nice you that can, looked very good actually from what I saw it's worth mentioning that as far as I understand logic 8 uh, has also improved rewire integration so you can select plugins sort of essentially from um, the plugin menu that are 
also there are objects that are available within your rewire host um, assuming they're instantiated so there are improvements there which is a welcome addition i don't know i haven't got to use it but maybe someone else could comment on that when they've had a chance um but yes reason four uh, is released uh, when is it the 24th of september i believe i keep t- getting different dates maybe it's different in each country but uh, that's this coming Monday. Sonic Talk. Sponsored by Yamaha Music Production. Producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles. Accurate professional studio monitoring systems. Incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos. The versatile motif range of music production synthesizers. And the latest N-series digital mixing studios. Featuring the cleanest signal pump and full Cubase AI4 integration www.yamahasynth.com Sonic Talk There's still more software updates and, and new versions coming. We've also, as well as the Sonar Cakewalk 7, which we Cakewalk Sonar 7, which we've just heard about Contact 3 is here and that is um, also a fairly major up- upgrade to Native Instruments sampling engine. I hang out in a lot of composer forums and uh, we all use Contact and the verdict is that it's more of a 2.5 rather than a 3.0 upgrade, you know, per per the feature set that's being offered. What what people seem to want and what Native Instruments didn't deliver was a 64-bit engine. Because presumably, if you get contact, I mean, this thing comes with 33 gigs of sound with six instrument connections. Collections. That's quite a hefty <laughs> sound library. But the people that use it as a workhorse sampler um are probably not so much interested in the sound and the sound set that's bundled with it no i suppose not but i I mean i suppose i was sort of saying so it's sort of almost akin to um say something like giga sample or giga studio where people would have like your own separate pc just running the kind of collection or whatever sounds that you may want to run through the sample engine i mean contacts seem to be kind of heading in that direction because it's so enormous yeah, and I, I think that there's uh, there's two camps in the composing field right now, but the the contact camp seems to be winning out over the Giga Studio camp. People seem to be migrating from at least here in the states from from Giga Studio to Contact. Really? And I, I yeah, and I'm not sure why. Po- possibly because there seems to be more titles uh, by new developers offered for the Contact platform yeah. than for the Giga, Giga Studio platform. Also because its scripting engine is uh, second to none. Oh, it's supposed and to be astonishing, are, isn't it? Yeah, and there's a lot of developers out there that are taking full advantage of it. Or maybe they're not, so it would be interesting to see what happens when somebody does. But uh, we talked last week about um, Thomas Scarby and his new Black Bass product that yeah. Rich and Nile Rogers were involved with. And uh, uh, he's one who takes fantastic advantage of it chris hine is another developer that takes uh great advantage and then the guys over at bella d media do a lot of really wonderful work with the contact scripting engine with their um they have a, a world winds uh anthology collection and uh and a couple of guitar distorted guitar collections that are really fantastic and take full advantage of the of the scripting engine in contact well as far as i understand with this contact three i mean each of them can be scripted and, and there's a, a thousands of in instruments and they've all been scripted to the point where they've kind of got their own sort of special skins and have, you know, dedicated controls for the various parameters of that. And that's, I mean, just that amount of work that must have gone into the creation of the library, even though you say, you know, probably most people will be using their own shows the sort of depth and level that you can get into with this thing. Cause they got it. So the contact engine is such a kind of brilliant concept, isn't it? It's like you, you, you can buy, the application, but you can also buy the kind of ready-rolled stuff in in terms of contact player sample libraries. So they kind of bring in on lots of developers to work within that system. 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty neat environment, and and like you say, I'm sure a ton of work went into the new sample library. I mean, nobody's discounting the work that Native Instruments has put into it, and maybe they're maybe they're trying to broaden their user base, and that'll definitely appeal to new users. I think people that'll want to rush out and and buy Contact because for three hundred dollars in the U.S. or just over, <clears throat> they can get a thirty-three gigabyte library along with it that is most likely eminently usable. I know that they've. Uh, They've um, included a lot of the VSL sample library, the, v- the right. Vienna Symphonic Library. Um, not not a lot of it, I guess. I, just a, a good sort of workhorse stable of, of articulations from that library has always been included with Contact. Um, some pianos that are very good, um, and I'm sure many many other things a- along with the along with their implementation of their of their scripts, which, like you say, is is an interesting feature inside of Contact. That when you open up Contact and you open up uh, a third party product inside of Contact, if they've gone to the trouble, they actually can build an instrument within the instrument, which right. is is fantastic. It's fantastic. Rich, does uh, Contact kind of enter your world very often, or are you more concerned with sort of recorded instruments it's actually become my primary sampler of choice lately um having replaced uh let's see giga and a few others that have gone by the wayside along the way um i quite like it and i'm sort of impressed with this release because even though as pj says it's more of a 2.5 they've sort of tacked a few very nice uh things onto an existing engine that was really nicely done but this this uh, focus on the 33 gigabyte library and 1,000 instrument presets means they're going after the part of the market where you want just a huge list of presets on which to draw. I mean, apart from all the wonderful scripting and modulation routing and that and such, the, they're, uh, your $500 new young Logic customer who wants you know a big sampler next Christmas or whatever or this Christmas does have... Uh, a very nice, attractive alternative to st- standalone pieces like yeah. symphonic libraries or Colossus or any of those by getting something fully featured like this with such a huge database of of included sounds. Also, I think it's their new wave editor looks kind of nice. The fact you can draw stuff onto its own envelopes and such. And um, oh, they've obviously brought in some features from. Uh, guitar rig software into the thing where Uh they've got some sort of modular rack effects layout that includes some of the kinds of it looks to me like it's going to include some of what's come from the guitar rig software so they've kind of brought a bunch of things together and i I don't disagree with with pj it's not really a whole version numbers worth of stuff but it's it is a pretty attractive package and i I'm, i'm guessing it's not all that expensive no well it's uh 449 Retail, um, US dollars, 399 euros, uh, not sure what it is. Uh, you can upgrade from contact to at fairly competitive price. I suppose the thing that gets me is you know, it's called a sampler, but I, I'm not sure I can kind of see how one might actually make samples for it. I mean, it oh, seems you, like... Oh, you can. You can, is it? Oh, it's very easy. Is it? Yeah. Ah, okay. Yep. Well, I've missed and that. And they've actually part. created some kind of new auto-mapping stuff that uh, apparently improves the process i can't say that i spend a lot of time sampling into it i do use it mostly as a player uh-huh i i have spent quite a bit of time sampling into contact and it's very very easy to set up presets and to do some very you know fancy configurations layering splitting you know routing and <clears throat> i i know nothing of the scripting engine though i haven't i haven't uh dug into that are you are you a user of the actual sample sampler itself 
No, not no. I use the um, used on use the uh, logic sampler. Which going back to logic, that's something they didn't seem to feel the need to upgrade at all. I mean, this was one of the things in the original kind of the point about this that the contact three was here. Um, you know, what is your sample of choice and why? Because it seemed like this this area of technology is still kind of wide open. But it's not like when Akai's were sort of very very dominant, and there was you know that was kind of your sample. Or there were two camps. I mean, is this a good thing, or do we need a bit more of a of a standard so that things are interchangeable? I think it's pretty interchangeable now. I mean, almost all of these guys are sporting interfaces that claim to import sample libraries going back to the dawn of man. <laughs> the The only thing that really bums me out is, <clears throat> you know, for instance, I own Emu- Emulator X, which is Emu's project product, and uh, I I love that sampler. I love the sound of its engine. I love the fact that you can sample directly into it. You you don't need to actually uh, you know prepare files and import them into Emulator X. And the sound of its filters, I think, are are better than anything anything out there that I've heard. I remember seeing uh, a demo for that. It was was very good. Yeah. Yeah, they sound they sound great, and there's some really really interesting features inside of that sampler. the The problem with it is that there is no third party library support for it whatsoever, and so you're forced to you know to to move on to a competitor. And I use Emulator X for uh you know for for a lot of personal you know personal sound design, but there's there's no third party library support for it. What's I mean. Basically none. And of course, if you've got something like a, like the scripting en- engine inside of Contact and developers are making products for that, that can't port directly over to something like Giga or Emulator or any of the other samplers out there, Independence or any of that, because those products don't contain the same scripting engine. You lose what probably about 70% of what the what the product is is aimed to accomplish when attempting to port the sound set into a competitor's sampler. So do you think contact are heading to be, you know, the de facto standard for Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think I think they're they're doing I mean I think all of them have attempted to do that over time, but I think Native Instruments has definitely made a push push in that direction. I think Motu has some designs in that area too. They've got Mach 5 version 2 just come out. And, I've heard uh, some good things about that. There are some strong advocates for Mach 5. Um, I don't happen to be one of them, but it, it's not a bad program at all. And I've heard that the import is very good. The Akai import is particularly very good from hardware samplers, anyway, for Mark 5. It's a funny thing about importing old sample libraries, because I've spent a fair amount of time doing it and trying to do it and everything else. And um, Sometimes at the end of the process, I feel that the uh, the romance that I had with that sound is no longer as strong as it was in the instrument it was in, even if it sounds the same. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know quite how else to describe it. It's just, it's kind of nice to move, this, to change your sound. It's kind of nice to keep going after new sounds anyway. But I, <laughs> I understand the desire to keep, you know, importing the old libraries and everything and keep working in the way that you're used to. But uh, in some level having frustrations with doing it has led me creatively down new interesting paths yeah, that yeah, I might maybe you're right. Example. I, I mean, I speak purely from a totally selfish, I know I do keep coming back to this, but you know, the sort of situation where you've got a touring band who have three albums in the Akai's and when we get to the fourth album, there ain't going to be room in memory to hold the whole set and the, their bits are dropping off them. And you can't get replacements and you need to be able to move that back you know, maybe into the soft sampler domain, you know, put it on Mac minis or whatever you want to do with it. And having to reprogram the entire thing is just, I just can't kind of, it makes me want to kind of run away and be a dot on the horizon, really. 
I do have a friend who replaced six racks of vintage synthesizers on the road with a pair of Muse Research receptors uh, using contact to sample in all the vintage synth sounds because the artist wants to hear the sounds from the record. Well, maybe that's the answer. But uh, No, that was the Mac 5. I used the Mac 5 one. I'm probably going to get the two. Um, but I liked it. It was intuitive. Like you say, with the, with the importing of, of various libraries, it was pretty good. Nick, what do you use as a sampler? What is your, what's your sampler? Uh, it's just in Logic EXS24, but it's a peg to program. Oh. It's very cumbersome. You know, even saving a voice into somewhere seems to take it forever. And I just don't really understand why it has to be so difficult. I and mean, when it first came out, it was great. And it was one of the formats that lots of sample library people would develop for simultaneously. But now I don't think you get, you're seeing so many because it can't do much. You know, there's no key switching. There's no fancy stuff. You know, but Nick, Nick, doesn't that also bring back my frustration of the new update? Because I mean, I think the EXS24 was the first ever instrument for Logic, and and really, really the last update on this one has been version 5.5. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, maybe there, maybe there, that's a nod to people like um, Motu and uh, Native Instruments to sort of not step on their feet too much. I, I, can, I can tell by your reaction that perhaps that's a ridiculous notion. <laughs> I don't know if that don't level of altruism exists. In no, the you're probably, you're probably, maybe they just can't be bothered. Contact three. Oh, it's going to be available in October for a suggested real retail price of four four nine US three nine nine euros. Updates for owners of Contact Two will be offered at one hundred and forty nine bucks or one hundred and twenty nine euros. SonicState.com. The, the U eighty seven is forty years old this year, and they've announced a special edition, which is in a fine, robust, classic style case, uh, offered with unique product features, apparently, uh, and you get pop screen and all these other things. But the pricing is TBA. But it's it's a sort of celebration of the U eighty seven, and well, it's the it's the microphone of the eighties at very least, isn't it? Which was what thirty years ago. For some, you know, the the Neumann sound is the only way to record, particularly vocals. Um, does anyone use one, or is there much better stuff out there now? What do you think? I certainly have one, and I have used it. It's not my primary vocal mic at the moment, but I've always considered the U87. When, when they say you got to go to a desert island with one microphone, what are you going to bring? Well, if the desert island doesn't have a power supply, I'm bringing an SM57, and if it does, I'm probably bringing a U87. Oh, so do you th- do you think it's like the um, the, the 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 SM fifty seven of the uh, of the large large capacitor of the like? condensers? Yeah, it is an incredibly versatile mic that'll sound. Chances are pretty good in front of almost anything if you put it in the right place with the right angle. Well, that's quite an accolade. Do, what does it do? Does it do um, omni figure of eight cardioid? Does yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Multi pattern. It's got a roll off on it. It's just a heck of a good-sounding microphone in front of a whole lot of different things. It's not always the best microphone in front of any given single thing, but it's just a great classic piece of gear. You put a pair of those over a drum kit, and you're probably going to be pretty happy. It sort of replaced the RCA ribbon mic for you know people who wanted to have a mic in their pop videos. You know, the U87 was was there for quite some time as you know the the kind of cartoon representation representation of a microphone in the studio. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. As well as those really dreadful DT100 headphones. Headphones. Oh, horrible. And I don't know about you. I mean, they, there are still people who actually request those in the studio. I mean, I'm probably, I mean, I'm, I'm, perhaps I'm being libelous, but to my ears, they sound absolutely appalling. And they're really uncomfortable. But they look great. They're very 80s. Maybe the thing was, is because they had quite a high sort of head thing, they, they didn't mess with your 80s hair. <laughs> <laughs> 
Not that I'm in a position to worry about anything messing with my hair these days. <laughs> PJ, you're, you're a you're a studio guy. What do you do? You find the U87 is something you'd reach for? Would you like a pair? Do you have a pair? Do you use them? I used to. Um, I'd no longer do. Um, and yeah, I love the U87. I agree with everything Rich said. And one time I worked in a studio that had a pair of U87s and <laughs> a couple of our a couple of our clients who uh, were, were no longer after this were uh, brought some shady folks into the studio and somebody walked off with U87 oh. and attempted to sell it to somebody for $300 not knowing what they had. And we were able to get it back. These guys were, were very unsavory people, but we had to pay the $300 in okay. order to get it back. Like a reverse rental fee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we had to rent our mic back from, from the shady shady people. But Actually, uh, I know one studio who stopped using them for that reason, that they were always getting nicked. If there was anything that was going to be nicked from the studio, it was always the mics. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. common. We locked ourselves in a very, very secure vault after that. <laughs> I remember the mic cupboard. Yes. But yeah. um, everybody used to lust after the 67 and the 47 as well, didn't they? They were the sort of the, the real the real biggies. Because the U87 is FET, isn't it? It's not, um, it's not a um, valve thingy, is it? It doesn't require an external power supply or anything. Correct. Right. Those other two are tube microphones. Yeah. Uh, the, yep. the 67 is very similar. And perhaps slightly better. That would be the desert island with a power supply and a tube shop. <laughs> Hans, what about you? Are you a U87 man? Is that something that you must have when you sing? Or is it, can, will you do yeah, it? Um, I, I have one. I've I had it at least for 10 or 15 years now. But I didn't do too many vocals. Uh, so it, it was rarely used. But I think every time you, you use it, uh, example, for, uh, versus an AKG 414, it's just so much more information. I really like it a lot. Did you, did you hear about the story they just reissued? I mean, that's one warning out to everybody out there. The reissues are sometimes dreadful. What I heard is that they did this uh, new version of the 414, and it's supposed to be not good. Ah, okay. Well, I guess we'll have to hear that. I mean, that, I, all I remember about any kind of large diaphragm microphone is they all sound different. You know, that it's very oh, hard to get correct, total consistency. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, if you compare the 87 to the 414, there's, an, there's not a comparison. Like Rich said... Oh, no, the, it's totally the, different, yeah. Yeah, the 87 you can stick in front of almost any vocalist, and it, and it might not be the, the right mic or the magic mic for that vocalist, but it's certainly going to probably sound good, and, and at the very least, it's going to sound more than serviceable. But, a, but you can't say the same thing about the 414. Dave, uh, have you got one? No, good lord, no. Too expensive. Um, I'd rather spend the money on a synthesizer. I have to say, I'm in the market for a decent vocal mic, so any recommendations would be appreciated. I've yeah. got a 414. It seems to suit my voice okay. Um, but I'd quite like... I've got a Rode as well, one of those um, Valve Rode things, uh-huh. um, which is okay. It's not brilliant. Um, so, yeah, any recommendations? Must there's appreciate. A gu- uh, Dave, there's a guy here in Germany called Attila, and he, what he does is... He uh, sort of hot rods uh, uh, mics, you know, the B1? Yeah. Really cheap $100 uh, microphone. And what he does is he basically tears the whole thing apart and he bakes the membrane for one day in, a, in an oven. And then wow. he's built his 
complete own electronics and he charges this, the, the membrane really, really high enough. Uh, I got one cent, which I always hate when people send me samples and then I like the stuff so much that I have to buy it. <laughs> it's a great mic and it's only about uh, 500 euro. Wow. Okay. If you want to try it, let me know. Thank you. So what's an alternative to the U87? There must be something else out there. I mean, aside from what uh, Hans has just mentioned, um, Rich, what, what would you use, you know, I mean, as a starting point for a vocalist, say, for instance? Uh, on vocals right now in our studio, where we do not have what you would call a huge mic closet, Yeah, I typically use a Sound Deluxe U95 or a vintage Neumann U48. Oh, okay. Those, those are the two microphones I use the most in our studio. I do have the U87 standing by, and I have used it, and I have some dynamic mics around as well. But it's a, you know, a one-room facility in which we're typically recording one thing at a time sure. through typically one channel at a time. So uh, I, have, I have a nice selection, you know, a nice choice of tones in the, in the microphones I have, but it's not like uh, a major commercial facility where you've got a big closet full of stuff. And what's the pitfalls of something like this? I mean, do they do they kind of dis- de- deteriorate? Do you have to be really careful about um, taking care of them, or or are they sort of fairly robust? I just keep I get them serviced. I mean, every few years, the Neumann has been around since 1948, and it still sounds great. Mm-hmm. Um, the Sound Deluxe is obviously a little newer than that. I don't know. I just keep them. Yeah, some guys cover them up. One guy yeah. covered them up. One guy covered them up on me all night in a studio one night, forgot to take the bags off, and my next morning's basics were ruined because he left the plastic bags over his condenser microphones. <laughs> but uh, some guys like to put plastic bags. I, I've always been told, turn them off overnight so they don't attract dust because apparently the charge will bring dust towards the caps. Don't, don't handle them carefully. They're, very, they're precision instruments. You know, Just be gentle with them. Roland V mixer. Anyone got excited about this? The first mixer to actually be produced um, that does have only Cat Five input. It's designed. The Roland V mixer, V sorry M one hundred M four hundred even was released at this uh, last week's Plaza show, which is a show in Ills Court in London, which is kind of geared more to the sort of live and DJ and events um, market, but. They did, nonetheless, uh, the Roland S- RSS uh, department announced it. I mean, I don't know if anyone saw from previous shows, they've, they've got a digital snake, which is essentially a 48-channel multicore. You have stage box at either end. You can use Cat5 cable, and it'll run um, 100 metres without any repeaters, but up to something like 2.5 kilometres with a couple of routers in, you know, if you just have routers boosting the signal as you go. Yeah, I could see that. And they're obviously touting it on their website as a live mixing uh, and recording solution, but it really is geared towards those long runs and the live thing and that whole Cat5 convenience area. I mean, surely putting signals over Cat5 has got to be better than what you'd lose over any kind of length of cable run. I mean, no matter how expensive your cables are, you're going to be losing stuff to resistance and whatever and bad connections and solder joints and all that stuff, wouldn't you? Well, that's the that's the question there is, these boxes that are on stage, the stage boxes, must yeah. have the converters in them. Yeah. Yes. Well, it has to. It has to. So all you're sending down a Cat5 cable is a bunch of numbers. Yeah, well, I, was, I suppose so. But also I'm thinking in terms of, you know, I wonder what the equation is compared to if you've got a, an analogly wired studio or live situation and um, what the difference is between, you know, lose it, what you'd lose in conversion to what you'd lose in the long run of cable and all the various interference and leakage and all that kind of stuff. Be an interesting test. Well, for somebody sometime. 
When, who builds Roland's converters? Does anybody does anybody know the answer to that? No, I'm afraid I don't. Okay, no, no. and if it's running only at at <clears throat> at 48 and doesn't go higher than that, then it, it you know you you might lose something if you're if you're working with uh, any you know anything more than a than a rock band you know than a traditional rock setup. If you're doing, I would be shocked to learn that that were true. <laughs> shocked? I, I would. I would absolutely. But with a big front of house system. You know the the depth and the the you know you're hearing so much more than you could possibly hear you know over your stereo or whatever. Well, th- this just looks like a really interesting product. It'll compete, um, and I hope it. I think it'll compete with Digidesign's um, Icon and Venue products uh, as a, a probably lower cost solution. Theoretically, you get one of these boards in one of those stage boxes, and you could be touring all over the place, and mm. your front of house is always perfect. I think they need more channels. That's the only thing because forties not really enough for most kind of bands that are maybe hybrid electronics and live musicians. It's not quite going to be there. But they, I mean, this is the first generation and maybe they're going to have, you know, larger outputs, uh, larger input capacities and what have you. You know, they just take a couple of Cat5 cables and you can sync them up and what have you. The other thing that's quite interesting, it's got a built-in USB recorder and playback thing so that you can actually, uh, you know, record your your mix, your, your front of house mixes, or you can play stuff back into the sound system. Or the other thing is got is a firewire link that you can just go straight into a laptop and do a forty, I think a forty eight channel recording straight out, you know, direct out, just a firewire cable. Right. Wow. And oh, that's nice. That works in um, Sonar in Catewalk. They've got uh, they've got drivers in there that would do that. I mean, they're still working on them, but I mean, look pretty impressive. This was actually a bit disappointing for me because I, I I don't know about you. It just somebody sent me a YouTube link to a band, to some guy recording in the studio, and he was, I noticed that he was sat down. You know, he had his rack behind him and his his guitar, and he was sat on a stool and had his headphones on and was just sort of obviously concentrating and playing because um, you must have to do multiple takes. And it just reminded me when I was a kid, uh, when I was sort of enamoured by the kind of um, the glamour of the recording industry or what I what I assumed was. And how disappointed I was to see all these people who were kind of sp- recording these great records and they were sort of sat down in a really pedestrian fashion. And I just wondered whether it actually makes a difference. <laughs> if you stand up, can you rock out more or, or is it better to sit down and just sort of be, you know, be more focused? Rich, you're a guitarist. I generally sit because when I'm recording, I'm much more interested in accuracy. I, I do the opposite. I stand up. <laughs> is that because you want more vibe or is just the more comfortable thing for you i mean what do you uh, no I, I did before i was sitting down while recording the guitar and for me it just feels a lot better i can i think i can just play better when i'm standing and be more precise funny enough you can put your shoulder into it as well and throw, yeah. a, sh- throw a shape because if you're throwing a shape when you hit that chord it's got to sound better right <laughs> <laughs> dave you're a drummer so you have to sit down Unless, of course, you were in uh, um, the Flock of Seagulls, in which case you would have been standing up, playing the toss. Yeah. Well, that guy yeah. from Jellyfish, he used to stand up and play and sing. That was pretty cool. Uh, no, stand. Stand. Everybody should stand. I'm sorry. But, you know, with all this computer malarkey, recording, blah, blah, fix it after the event, stand and go for the performance. I worked with a fantastic guitarist, um, who was the guy in the Alex Harvey band years ago. And he was amazing because he'd kind of sit there and work everything out and whatnot and whatnot. And then the minute the guy hit the button, hit the record button, he'd just stand, strike a pose and play for his life. And always the results were just awesome. Ah, so he kind of used the extra 
thrill of being on two feet. Yeah, to the point where it would actually disturb some people, you know, other people who were sitting in the control room. It was like, what, what, what's going on? This is too much, <laughs> too much energy going on here. I don't want it. Yeah. No, stand. Go for the performance. I just wonder whether kind of Booker T and the MGs and those kind of house bands would have been all sat down at kind of, you know, in comfy chairs or whatever, or whether they they would have been standing. I suppose they, because they had to work such long days, they probably would have sat down too. I think it's also important when you sing that you stand up. Oh yeah, I think that's probably true. Unless you're, who who sings oh, yeah. sitting down? Anyone sing sitting down? If I'm recording myself singing, I might. Yeah, because I have to be at the, the DAW while I'm singing. I'm not, I might too. But generally speaking, uh, I'd much prefer to sing and I'd much prefer to record people singing who are standing up. Yeah, I think so. But when you go to the loo, you sit down, right? Yeah, but you don't record that. (laughs) I don't record that. I wouldn't want to. You don't? (laughs) That'd put a whole new slant on the podcast, wouldn't it? I don't even want to go there. And of course, you know, linking it back into the uh, talk like a pirate kind of scenario, everything obviously ends up back in the sea at some point. (laughs) I always like the euphemism, uh, where have you been? I've just been to see a few good friends off to the coast. (laughs) I think perhaps before this degenerates into anything more debased and debauched, uh, we should probably call it a day and thank everybody who's participated um, this week. Uh, PJ Tracy from Minneapolis, thank you very much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Thank you very much, Nick. It was a pleasure. Ah, good man. And uh, Rich Hilton from Connecticut. Yo ho, yo ho, it's a pirate's life for me. <laughs> Will you be sailing to work today? Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Nonrek from Berlin, thank you for joining us also. Yeah, welcome. That was kind of scary. That was like Blackbeard or something. Uh, D- Dave Spears from G4 Software, once again, thank you for joining us. Thank you. I've got a different slant on the old pirate day today. Okay. Anyone want to buy any dodgy software? <laughs> <laughs> you need to ask what do you, what you got what have you got well logic 8 doesn't come with a dongle anymore <laughs> careful I'm going to leave that in and remember folks comments are always welcome we'll be happy to read them out or play them or however they arrive uh, you can email them at, to sonictalk at sonicstate.com we can just take words or mp3s or if you've got skype uh, you can call us on sonic talk the handle sonic talk oh, we've got an answer phone there just leave us a message uh, we've got skype in numbers in the US for that uh, so dial 312-376-8089 if you're inside the US or if the UK is closer or you're in the UK 0207-870-8616 remember to dial your country code for those of you outside either of those countries. That's US telephone number 312-376-8089, UK 0207-870-8616. Thanks for listening. Sonic. State. Not called.